Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We really believe that God is awakening hearts, that God is awakening lives, that God is awakening you, He's awakening me, He's awakening the culture around you to have a greater awareness. How many know that when you're awake, you have a greater awareness of what's going on? So sometimes God's already moving, God's already doing things, and we don't even know because we're asleep. Come on, are you with me? Or we're tuned out or we're drowned out. But God, what God wants to do is he wants to come and awaken hearts to where, he, to where we can recognize that God is here, that God is on the move, and we want to get in on that. How many of you want to get in on the move of God? I do not I do not want God to be moving and me miss it. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm caught up doing my own thing. I'm up in my own little world. I want to make sure that I am in tune with what the Lord is saying. All right, we're going to share a story this morning uh, out of Luke chapter 8. So if you got your Bible, if you have that turned on, or if you have your app in the notes section of the app there, uh, Luke chapter 8. This is one of my favorite, favorite stories in Scripture that I'm going to share with you guys. And this morning we're going to be talking about awakening, awaken to miracles. Are you all ready? How many of you are ready for a miracle? How many of you believe in God for something in your life? Right? I, 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 it seems like I'm always like I'm, I'm moving from miracle to miracle, right? I'm believing God for something. As soon as that's fulfilled, like something else is happening in my life. So uh, Luke chapter 8, we're going to be reading here. It says this, on the, on the side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. If you have a paper Bible, make sure that you underline that where it says because they had been waiting for him. That's very important. I believe that where there's expectations, when we're waiting on the Lord, we're going to see something happen. Then it says a man named Jairus. Everybody say Jairus. That's an interesting name. I'm glad your name's not Jairus. I, when I see that, I think the name Jarvis. A man named Jarvis. Uh, that would be a little bit more in our culture. A leader of a local synagogue. So he's a leader. He came and fell at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him to come home with him. Now, most of the religious people were against Jesus, right? Right? But this guy had a need in his life. His, his only daughter, who was 12 years old, was dying. And as Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. And a woman in the crowd who had been suffering, uh, who had 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could not find a cure, came up behind, coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, and I felt healing power come out of me. And when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden... <laughs> well, come on. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees before him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him, and she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter is dead. There's no need in troubling the teacher now. So what we have here is we have a story of Jesus going to perform a miracle, right? This leader comes up to Jesus, and he's like, listen, my name's Jairus. I run a local synagogue. If you could help me out, my daughter's sick. She's about to die. If you will come and heal her, that would be awesome. So Jesus is like, all right, let's go. Let's head over to Jairus' house, to Jarvis's house, and let's deal with this issue, the issue of his daughter being sick. On the way, the crowds are pressing into Jesus because they knew he 
he was coming. They were expecting him to come. And then this woman sneaks up and touches Jesus. Now, the thing about this woman is she wasn't supposed to touch anybody because she has what's called an issue of blood. And we're going to get into that in just a second. And so Jesus is en route to do something, and there's a miracle that happens in the midst of the miracle. How many know that God is moving on the earth? Come on, are you with me? But he's not going to overlook you. That even though God is doing something, it's not too big that he's overlooking the need that you have. Now, this, this is a, a writing technique called, called a sandwiched technique because you have a story, like an A story, that has two parts. A, a Story A, part one, story A, part two, and then you have a B story in the middle. This woman, the B story. The A story, story is Jarvis, Jairus, right? His daughter is, is dying. And then she dies. But in the middle, sandwich this other story, and we call this a sandwich technique. This is all over the book of John. Uh, several other books in the Bible use this technique. Uh, several stories that you've read use this technique. And so really what we're seeing here is a miracle in the midst of a miracle. Everyone say, a miracle in the midst of a miracle. So you have the objective miracle, right? The move of God that is happening, happening, and then you have the subjective move of God, right? And so God's coming. He's moving on the earth. He's bringing a revival. All this stuff has happened, and then he goes, who's going to come after me? Who's going to touch me? And I'll do that too. How many of you know that we, and, and most of the time we're saying, hey, let's get out of our zone and focus on what God's doing on the earth? right? That's normally what we want to say. But can I tell you that Jesus cares about your need? He's not just overly consumed about the global movement of God. He's also consumed about his movement in your life, your private issues. Come on, the miracle that you need. I mean, our world is a mess, right? In case you haven't like been on Facebook lately. Our world is a mess, right? America is a mess, right? Many people would say the church is a mess, right? But how many know that God likes to work in messiness? God likes to make organization out of a mess. And he does that not just by coming and globally going, boom, this is my movement on the earth. He does this. Miracle here, miracle there, miracle over here, miracle over here, miracle in this room, miracle in your life, miracle in my life, miracle financially, miracle physical healing, miracle freedom from addiction. Little miracles. What does that produce? That produces this big move of God, all these little moves of God. So don't forget... Jesus is not just interested in rocking the whole earth. He is, absolutely. But inside the miracle is a miracle. It's your miracle. Everybody say, it's my miracle. Look at your neighbor and say, it's my miracle. So, I mean, you know, here's a girl that's dying, right? And Jesus deals with this other issue. So in the, in the midst of a great awakening, God is not, not so consumed with the bigger miracle to address your need. He will address your need. You're not being overlooked. So I ask you today, what do you believe in God for? What is the miracle that you crave in your life? What are you wanting to see God do in your heart? What do you want to see God do in your life? What do you want God to see God do in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace? What do you want to see God do? Yes, we always need to be asking the greater question, God, what are you doing on the earth? But God wants to minister to your need. Everybody say, that's for me. So what do you believe in God for? Now, one of the cool things about this story is that we have a woman. Well, first of all, we have a daughter that's 12 years old, right? Scripture tells us she's 12 years old and that she dies. That's all it tells us, right? And then you have another story about a woman 
who also has a 12. In fact, she started this issue of bleeding about the time this other girl was born. Now, 12 is the number of authority. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, look, there's 12 tribes of Israel, right? There's all these things about setting up 12 stones, all these kind of things. It's the governmental number. In the Old Testament, it was, it was the 12 tribes of Israel. Under the New Covenant, it's the 12 disciples. In fact, in the next chapter, if you read in the book of John, it says Jesus sent out the 12. So there's this link with the number 12. What is Jesus saying with the number 12? 12. 12 speaks of governmental authority. And, and I like to think of it this way. One of these, one of these people had, a, had a, uh, an issue of blood flow, and the other didn't have enough blood flow. Right? Both issues. A 12-year-old daughter, a 12-year-old issue of blood. Now listen, this is what I get from that. Jesus has authority over everything. Jesus has authority over something that, that happened 12 years ago, Something that happens 99 years ago, 12 years from now, Jesus has all authority. And I believe it's very specific. I believe Jesus knew that this was going to happen, right? Because he was saying, I have authority over this. Anything that you're willing to take me to, Jairus, he was taking Jesus to his daughter. Why? His 12-year-old daughter. Jesus is saying the story beneath the story beneath the story beneath the story is this. Is Jesus has authority of everything you take him to. But Jesus also has the authority to everything you take him take to him. Let me say it this way. He has authority to the situation we bring him to or the issues we bring to him. And this is exactly what we see. Jesus wasn't seeking out this woman with the issue of blood. He wasn't. He was on his way to do another miracle. He didn't just have authority to the thing he was going to that someone told him about. He also had the authority to the issue that was brought to him. So God wants to come into your life and not just the, the, in your plan have authority over what your plan is, but even the, the things that interrupt your plan. Jesus has all authority. Everybody say that. He has all authority. So we know the one, the one thing basically about the daughter of Jairus, of Jarvis. We only know one thing about her. She's dead. That's all. 12 years old, daughter of a leader, she's dead. This other woman, we have a little bit more storyline. First of all, we know that she had a blood condition. This is either a female condition, which most people believe, or a hemophilia type situation. Uh, the next thing is this woman was considered unclean. Now, Leviticus chapter 15 says this, if this was a female issue that she had, then what happened is if you had that issue, if you're a woman and you're, let's just be real, if you're on your period, then what happens is you can't be around anybody. Now, I don't know if that was to help the men out, Right? Or, I'm sorry, was that bad? I'm sorry. Uh, so, uh, or, if it was just to, because, dude, people in the Bible were weird about stuff. Like, you have a wound, like, if you had uh, leprosy, then they, like, send you outside of the city. They're like, I don't want to catch that. And so we have this woman, and she's got this bleeding issue. Now, it's one or the other. Some kind of issue of blood. And so, we know that she was probably ostracized because she had had this for 12 years. She couldn't touch anybody. She couldn't be around anybody. She had to sit at home by herself. Nobody could touch her bed. She could have physical contact. Can you imagine living your life for 12 years not being able to touch anybody physically? We need that, right? In fact, when a baby's born, one of the first things they need to do with the baby is give that baby to someone so someone can touch that baby because there's life in the touch. And so here's a woman for 12 years. She can't touch anybody. She was considered unclean. 
But how many know that when we bring Jesus, what is unclean in our life, he makes it clean. He deals with it. He takes care of it. Another thing that we know about this woman is that she was all out of options. Um, Mark, this story is also in Mark. It says this, that she had suffered a great deal from many doctors. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. And she had not, she had gotten no better. In fact, she had only gotten worse. So here she went to doctors. She paid all the specialists. She just went to them, went to them over and over again. I, I need, I need you to help me out. I need, we need, we need to fix this situation. They're like, well, I'll send you this other doctor. We'll, we'll run this test. We'll run this test until she's broke. So not only can she not touch anybody, she's also broke. She's out of options. How many know that that's a good thing for Jesus to work with? When we don't have any options. I heard Bill Johnson uh, share a story about a guy that was a handball player. And uh, the, the guy was like really good, but he only had one hand. And they were like, what? How are you so good? How are you so good at playing handball? Like, how are you this champion and you got all these rewards for being? He's like, it's easy. He's like, I don't have any options. I can only use one hand. I don't have to decide when the ball's coming at me, which hand am I going to use? It's like going to Chipotle. It's like you have four things. Awesome. That's what I like, right? I hate a menu that has like 40 things. I just want like one or two options. Beef or chicken. In fact, if I just didn't even have that, I just walked in and they just gave me a meal. I'm like, great. I don't have to make any decisions. How many of you ever feel like that? You got too many things to decide. The problem is, is we have, in this day and age, we have so many options. Well, here's a woman that had no options. She spent all of her money. Nobody would spend any time with her. Nobody was loving on her or anything. She was all out of options. And I believe because of that, she had lost all hope. However, she heard that this man Jesus was coming into town. Now, if this woman had hemophilia, then most likely for 12 years under that condition, we would understand that she probably could not walk because one of the first things that goes with someone that's, that suffers from this disease is they lose their knees. They lose the ability to walk, and they have to, you know, either get knee replacement or something like that, which in those days was not an option. We also know that this lady was probably dragging herself around because she didn't touch the hem of his sleeve. She touched the hem of his garment. So here's a woman, not just in a crowd that's pressing around Jesus, not just walking through the crowd like you would get through a crowd, right? She wasn't like, oh, let me kind of get to Jesus, right? Like we were in our old building. Let me kind of get around the room. No, no, no. She was like down on the ground, crawling around, going after this man, Jesus. And she thought, and it says this also in the Mark account, it says this, is that she said, if I could just touch, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch the cuff of his jeans, if I could just get, if I could just, if I could just get close enough to him, if I can go past the crowd, Listen, this was her last ditch effort. This is the last thing she she put. She invested everything. She was done. I'm, I'm convinced after 12 years of this that she was finished. She's like, there's only one thing that can help me. I've heard about this guy, Jesus. I hear he's coming to town. I got the email blast. I saw it on Facebook. I heard that Jesus is coming to town. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to drag myself out of this bed that I've been laying in for 12 years. I'm going to drag myself to Jesus. And if I don't get healed, then I'll die. But she said, but if I can just touch if I could just touch the hem, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, it's all good. I'll be healed. And it says this immediately when she touched Jesus. And I love what happened to Jesus. Jesus is there and he's like, who touched me? Right? You guys remember that? 
And the disciples are like, well, Lord, everybody's touching you, right? <laughs> well, which one, Lord? Like all 500, which one's touching you? They're all touching you. Which one? Who touched me? Yes, <laughs> right? Yes, they touched you. But I believe at that moment Jesus is going, who touched me? Oh, who touched me? You guys ever heard that song, that old hymn? He touched me. He touched me. I know I know who I'm speaking to. Some of y'all that are like older than like 40, you know that song? He touched me. So I believe Jesus is singing that about this. Man, that was that was a bad preacher joke. All right. So But Jesus was her last and only hope. I love how she decides to interrupt this story. Right? I love how she decides to interrupt the story of Jesus going and doing a bigger miracle. Are you willing to interrupt Jesus' story on the earth? Are you willing to say, Lord, I know and I want what you're doing on the earth, but God also want this. What are you going to go after God for? Listen, I'm not talking about you just having a bigger career or making more money or you just being comfortable in your life. We're not talking about that. What about, a mir- what about a thing that could happen in your life that only God could get credit for? That's what we call a miracle. A miracle isn't something you can do. A miracle isn't something a doctor can do. A miracle is something that only God can get credit for. Come on. All right. I want to talk about being awakened to miracles this morning. The first thing is this, is sometimes we stretch ourselves. This is the deal. Sometimes we're waiting on a miracle, but what we should do is go after it. I've heard this, you know, working with, you know, young people, college A students most of my life. What I hear all the time over and over and over and over again is this statement that says, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, you know, I'm waiting on the, how about you quit waiting on the Lord and you start going after the Lord? How about you say, well, you, you know who waits on the Lord? Dead people. That's what Jairus' daughter was doing. She was waiting on the Lord. She was all out of options, right? She was waiting on the Lord. But this woman said, I'm not waiting. I'm not going to sit around my house and go, hey, Lord, if you would think about it, you might come over here to my house. Maybe, Jesus, I'll just pray. Would you guys agree with me? Would you all just pray and fast with me that Jesus would, would get some kind of inkling and come to my house? Jesus didn't even know this woman was there. He didn't even know she touched him. But she said, if I could get out, if I could drag myself to this man, If I can get uncomfortable for a little while, it might be the last thing I ever do in my life. But if I can do it and I can touch this man, he'll heal me. She was not supposed to be there. She was supposed to be at home. She wasn't supposed to touch anybody. Maybe that's why she just touched his garment. Because she was not supposed to have contact with anybody. She was fully invested. I love how Jesus, when whenever the disciples are you know, accusing them, they're like, who, Lord, who touched you? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. And he's like, yeah, but I felt power go out of me. And Jesus looks at this woman, and he calls her daughter. Don't you love that? That here's a woman that's unclean, right? A woman that everybody just wanted to, to disassociate with. And Jesus looks at her, and he says, daughter, maybe you're unwanted, but guess what God calls you? His because when he said honor, he, when he said daughter, he said, you're mine. You're mine. I love that. From unclean to hopeless. From unclean and hopeless to princess. Because Jesus became her only option. Listen, if our excuse is our limitation, 
we will never see transformation. Let me say that again. If our excuse is our limitation, what I can do, this is all I can do. All I can do is sit around the house. All I can do is pray for a miracle. If our excuse is our limitation, we will never see transformation. You're never going to see a miracle if you're only going to do what's comfortable. Don't expect a miracle if you want to live a comfortable life. Because faith is risky. It'll cost you a lot of money. Come on. But it's the best option. Can I tell you today? It's a stretch. It's risky. We call it faith. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. See, can I tell you this morning that you can't please God unless you have faith? You can't please God without faith. It's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is. That he is and that he rewards those that earnestly seek him. Um, in the year 2000, I got to participate in an event uh, called The Call. It was in Washington, D.C. I was a youth pastor at the time. And um, you, some of y'all have heard me talk about this before. I was, man, I was serving God. We, we had an awesome student ministry. God was doing th- things. And I said, well, let's take 10 of our students, myself and, and, and uh, non-students, and we went to Washington, D.C. to this event called The Call, where young people, teenagers, got together and crowd to God uh, for revival in America. And so we go, and the guy that's leading this movement, nobody knows his name. His name's Lou Engel, and he's leading this movement. And we go, we show up, and I can tell you, for 12 hours, we fasted and prayed at the mall of Washington, D.C., and my heart was totally transformed. I, I, I went to this, this, this mindset where it wasn't about me and my ministry anymore, but it was really about what God's going to do on the earth. And I was thinking about the bigger miracle, and God was just moving our hearts. And, and just through those years, I think it was 16 years ago, it's crazy to think that over the last 16 years, I, I look at that as a huge mark in my life that God did something. God marked me. You know what I'm saying? It's like God just engraved in my heart a desire to see revival happen, a desire to see his movement on the earth. So fast forward last year, Lou Engel, the guy that headed up the call, decided to, to have a, a, a another call meeting in Azusa Street. If you know anything about the Azusa Street revival, um, basically in California, there's, there's a man by the name of William Seymour who was a black man who was blind. And he, just, he, he was having a revival, and it was multiracial. Okay, so it wasn't just white people having a revival, having a few meetings and going, oh, we're experiencing revival. It was white people, black people. It was, and you got to understand, this is the early 1900s, right? I mean, this is like 110 years ago. And so this, all these people from different races are coming together. And it's reconciling of, of races. And what are they coming together for? They're coming together for the presence of Jesus. They're coming to experience God together. And I love this story so much. What happened at Azusa Street is it launched a, a global revival. Not just in America, not just in California, but all over the United States. Churches were experiencing great things, miracles, signs, miracles, wonders. People were getting healed. People were getting saved. All kinds of crazy stuff was happening. So last fall, I got an announcement that... Uh, that Lou was having this event called, they're calling it like the Call Azusa, or they're calling it Azusa Now. And so what's happening is they're going to have an, an, an event in L.A. where Azusa Street was, downtown L.A. God began to speak to him, and he, and he said, we're going to have it there, and we're going to gather all these people. We're going to try to fill up the, the Coliseum in, uh, in L.A., and so immediately when I saw that, I said, man, I want to go and I want to get in on this because God birthed some things in my heart 16 years ago. 
And so I got, I told Leslie, I said, I really got to go to this. And I said, I really feel like that God is provoking because I believe that overflow, we, we, we're believing that this is a spearhead of a great move of God that's going to happen in America. I really believe that. I believe in movement and things like that. And I was like, I want to get in on that. Right? I want to get in on the global thing that God is doing. So, man, I, I paid the money and got the airline and, and all that kind of stuff. How many know it's costly? And stretch me. And then we got this building thing going on. We're right in the middle of the building. And I'm like, man, all this stuff is coming up. It'd be easy for me to try to sell my plane tickets or something and just not go because it's this week. And I'm like, but I want to be part of the global plan of God. I want to know what God is saying. And so, um, I be, because I believe, not because I believe, listen, it's, it's not about going and doing an event or a meeting. Are you with me? I, we wouldn't have to go that, go to that. But I really believe that God wants me to go and to participate in this and, and to, to kind of catch this global vision because I don't believe that God just wants to do something objectively on the earth, but subjectively here at Overflow Church. So I'm taking Nathan with me, and we're going to go up there, and we're going to get some of this, and next Sunday morning, I'm going to land at DFW at 10 a.m. and head straight to the church, and I'm just going to dump everything that I get from this meeting on you guys. Is that okay? And so... Some of y'all are like, whoa, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. I just know that, that God wants to do something very specific as in relation to something that is happening very global. It's the miracle in a miracle. See, our, 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 and, and listen, it's not just about our movement at overflow in the church, but in, in the city, but it's about the stories. It's about the stories that you share. It's about the stories that you have. I mean, you know, that we're not trying to just build a big church. That's like, like I, I think about being a mega church, and I'm like, I don't want any. I don't. I don't want to be a mega church pastor. There's no way I would ever want to be a mega church pastor. I'm like, no, just mark me off that list, because I want to know the stories. Of I want to be involved with the people. Are you with me? So we're not trying to build a great church. We're wanting to develop big people and big hearts, great people and great hearts. And as big as that gets, and as far as we can spread it out. And, and push it away so we can keep community and go, we're, we're like 600. All right, let's go plant a church over here. You, you guys go with them, right? Because we believe in the story. We believe the miracle inside the miracle. So what I'm going to do is starting next Sunday after I get back from this thing, for the last three weeks of April, is I'm going to go on a three-week fast. And I'm going to ask you to go on that fast with me. You say, man, whatever you're believing God for, what we've been talking about, that you say, I'm going to fast to see this miracle happen. Are you guys with me? I'm going to believe God. I'm going to go after God. To fast means that you give up something, right, that's significant, that's meaningful for you, maybe a meal, maybe three meals a day, maybe a certain type of food, maybe a certain type of media, that you're giving up something for those three weeks to say, man, God, I want to touch you. I want to, I want to receive my miracle, and I'm going to give up some things in my life. Are you guys with me? So, Again, I, I know I'm laying out a lot of vision, a lot of groundwork, but I, I want you to understand that if we are going to experience revival, either personally or globally, we've got to stretch ourselves. We've got to do something that's uncomfortable. It's not comfortable for me to fly to L.A. It's not, I'm not going to be hanging out on the beach the whole time. It's not going to be comfortable for me to sit at a gathering of, you know, 87,000 people and pray or to fast for three weeks. But this is what I want. I want to see a miracle. I want to see God do something globally and individually. So I'm, I'm going to ask you guys, will you fast with me? And maybe you'll think about it for a week, and then next week you can tell me after service, I'm fasting, I'm fasting, I'm believing God. And whatever you're believing, listen, whatever you're believing God for and whatever I'm believing God for, we come together with the power of community and say we're going to believe God together. 
Come on. I'm going to believe with you for your miracle, and you're going to believe with me for mine, and we're going to see something happen in this church, in this city, in this region. Amen? So the first thing is stretch yourself. We're going to, if we're going to see a move of God, we've got to stretch ourselves. Number two, we've got to press in. And I love that that this woman just pressed in. Again, who touched me? And there she was, this woman. It, it, one of the words says this, is that Jesus was crushed by the crowd. That's intense. I mean, Jesus is being crushed by the crowd. Somebody touched me. Somebody touched me. Can I tell you today that Jesus wants you to put the pressure on him? Right? Are y'all getting hungry? No? Okay. Listen, Jesus wants you to put the pressure on him, just like this woman did. Don't think, oh, Lord, I'm coming after you, Lord. I'm a needy of you, Lord. Oh, I want you. Listen, that's what he wants. He wants you pressing into him. Um, and let me just say this. We're going after the miracle. But really, we're not pressing into the miracle. We're pressing into the man. We're pressing into Jesus. And when you get the man, you get the miracle. Now, this woman wasn't like, I just want to be in relationship with Jesus. Was she? I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to, no, she had lost it. She was going after her miracle. But in the midst of finding her miracle, she found the man. And Jesus gave her a new identity. And I love that. So what we're going to do this month, and I know I'm spreading a lot of vision today, but this month, the month of April, because we're talking about going after Jesus, we're talking about pressing in. What we're going to do is on Sunday nights from 6 to 7, we're not going to go past 7. I know we're charismatic. I know all that kind of stuff. We're not going to go to like 8. We're not going to go to 9, but we're going to, we're going to cap it off at 7. We're going to start at 6, at 6, not 6.05, not 6.15, <clears throat> not 6.05, not 6.15. We're going to start at 6, and I'm just going to encourage you. Some of you might have to block out some time out of your schedule. We're just going to do this for the month of April, and we're going to get together. We're calling them Awakening Nights, and we're just going to come together. We're going to worship the Lord together. Some of you need heart transformation. Some of you need some things to happen in your heart, for God to do some things in your heart. And guess what? I believe that in these nights are where some of those things are going to happen. I believe that I believe that 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 hardness in your life, I think bitterness, I think unforgiveness, some of those things are going to be resolved. Some of you are going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit on Sunday night. It's going to happen. I, I rem- and, and some of this is going back. I'm kind of playing with my history today. Listen, I remember when I got saved in '93. Oh my gosh. Some of y'all, most of y'all weren't even alive, right? And so '93, that's not true. Most of y'all were alive. You were just like grade school. Really? Oh my gosh. And so. I get, I get saved in 93. I'm 18 years old. And I'm at our church. And we on Sunday mornings, we'd have church. And on Sunday nights, we had church. Right? You know what I'm saying? It's like Sunday mornings were good. They were awesome. You know, let's see everybody. But on Sunday nights, it was just like the only the people that were after God showed up on Sunday nights. So we got together. There was like a quarter of the crowd that was there on Sunday morning. And it's just like God showed up. And God did some things. So I'm going to encourage you. You know, if you can only come one, then come one. Come as, come as often as you can. We're starting that tonight. Just six to seven, one hour. Is all, that's all. You just show up. You know, we're not going to have, like, crazy child care. We'll have a nursery, but that's it. We're going to ask the children to come in here with us, experience Jesus with us. We believe God wants to do something massive. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put the pressure on him to do it. We're going to put the pressure on him to do it. Are you, are you okay? Um, so I encourage you guys to do that. All right. Let me finish up the story. Now, that was the sandwich inside the story, and here's the rest of the story. Luke chapter 8, verse 50. But when Jesus had heard what happened, 
He said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Now, you guys got to understand, the news came to Jesus, right? Jesus heals this woman. The news comes to Jesus. The daughter's dead. End of story, right? Not with Jesus. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, do not be afraid. Just have faith, and she will be healed. Healed? What are you talking She's dead. And when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except for Peter, John, and James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. So Jesus shows up to this funeral, basically, right? All these people weeping, crying, and Jesus says this, Stop weeping! She isn't dead. She's only asleep. She's not dead. She's sleeping. She just needs to be awakened. But the crowd laughed at him. (laughs) That's not real smart. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. And Jesus took her by the hand, and a voice said this, My child, get up. My child, wake up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat. I love that. If I was dead and alive, I'd probably be hungry too. Can I tell you today, Nate, you want to go ahead and come up? Some of us, all of us are probably one of the characters in the story. The 12-year-old issue, right? Or the 12-year-old daughter. We might be Alive, but barely living, pushing through the crowd, striving for our miracle, or we may be dead. And by dead, I mean, maybe you've had a relationship with God, but your faith is dormant. Right? Maybe you've experienced some things in Jesus, but it feels so long ago. But I believe that Jesus is coming and he's walking into the room and he's saying, you're not dead. Watch this. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Now, I love it. I'm whispering. Jesus didn't do it in a whisper voice. It says, I love it. I'm going to do a series one day called The, the Loud Voice of Jesus because there's several times that Jesus lifts his voice. And he goes, wake up! And that's what he's doing. Because you know, you know how it is when you're sleeping. Imagine it being like you're dead. Right? I mean, some of us like sleep through our alarm. Beep, 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 beep. Four hours later, how many of you ever slept through your alarm before because you were so asleep? Now, this girl's dead. Nothing's waking her up except for the loud voice of Jesus. So what Jesus is wanting to do is he's wanting to speak over your life. Those of you that your faith has grown dead or your faith is dormant or it's inactive, whatever the status of it, I believe that God wants to come and he wants to awaken your heart to love him, to experience him, to move into some new things. Now, check this out. Some of you, you're like, man, I don't even know. I'm not even in right relationship with Jesus. And so what you've been living is a cheap imitation of this thing called life. You think you're living, 
but you're really not. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Not just life that you would be a walking person, a breathing person, a functioning person, but that you would have fullness of life. That's the kind of life that Jesus brings. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, check this out. For the sins of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. Understand that righteousness is a gift. It isn't something you can earn. Come on. For all who received it will triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, because Jesus obeyed God, many will become righteous. Here's the deal. There's this doctrine called original sin. It means that you're born a sinner. That you got sin in your veins. That you were born dead. This is why you got to be born again to experience life. And so what happens is when we live apart from God in his wonderful righteousness, the gift of Jesus, what happens is we live a life of sin. Think, don't think of sin as like the worst thing that you can think. Think of sin as this way, independence from God. Well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Are you living for God? No, not really. Then you're living a life of sin. So I believe today that some of us, some in this room, you're living a life apart from God. The Bible says that you're dead in your sins. And I believe today the voice of Jesus is just that same voice that he spoke in John chapter 10, where he said, my sheep know my voice. And I believe that Jesus wants to call to you today, and he wants to awaken your heart. He wants to wake you up and say, daughter, son, you're mine, if you will respond to the voice of Jesus. Jesus. 